Let's open our Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Esther is right before Job. Job is right before the Psalms. Esther is a rather enigmatic book, we'll call it. It's never alluded to in the New Testament, and apart from fasting, there is really no distinctive Christian thing within the book of Esther. God, prayer, the covenant, sacrifice, mercy, forgiveness are all missing from the book. They're never mentioned. And even a number of the practices that Esther is involved with are questionable practices. She hid her identity from the king. She was willing to marry a Gentile. Uh, She didn't feel out of place in a harem. How many of you ladies would uh, go for that one? Uh, I didn't think so. Uh, And she didn't obey the dietary laws. Now, Those are issues that we are faced with, Esther, but we have to understand the thrust of the book. The thrust of the book is an imperfect person, basically a group of imperfect people, being used by God to do something fantastic. And that is who Esther is. So let's pray before we go any further. Lord, we ask that you would come upon us today, that as we come to your word, Our minds and hearts might be filled with the words of this chapter, with the actions of those who were imperfect but yet who yielded their own desires to your desires, who walked in faith and who demonstrated your power in their lives. Lord, come upon us with your spirit that we might understand these things. We might be filled with them and we too might walk in obedience to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me, Esther, the chapter is kind of long, so I'm just going to read it. You can remain seated today. I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to give you a history that brings us up to chapter 4. And then we're going to look at exactly what it is that the Lord is doing here in the life of Esther. And perhaps what he expects from us as well. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes. This was normal behavior for someone who was Jewish. Uh, And in that culture at that time, if things went bad, um, sackcloth basically is burlap. Uh, How many of you have your burlap at home for when times are really bad or you're sorry and you put that on? Not over your clothes, but under your clothes. And sat in ashes. And normally what they would do is they would sit in ashes And uh, how many of you have a charcoal grill that you still cook uh, your steaks and burgers on? A couple purists out there, okay. Well, you know that that when those ashes fall through the grates and the wind come that blows and it gets on everything, this is what they would put on their head. They would sit in ashes with burlap on and put this on their head as a sign of sorrow and anguish. So when Mordecai learned all that has had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, 
And the queen writhed in great anguish, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. He says, no, uh, too much sorrow in my heart, and we'll understand why in just a moment. Then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her, and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. And Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, nights or night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. This is God's inspired word for us today. The author begins the book of Esther in chapter 1 with a six-month-long royal celebration, which the king Ahasuerus, that's his Middle Eastern name, the Greek name is Xerxes, I will use the word Xerxes, he holds for the nobility of the kingdom. And at the end of this six-month-long celebration, he holds a celebration for one week for all the people in the capital city of Susa. And there is a, let me tell you, a big time was had by all. When the king throws a party, it's a party, okay? And right towards the end of that party, the king decides, now the king has probably been, how should we say, overserved uh, by this time, after six months of partying and one week of intensive celebration. He says, I want my wife, the queen, Vashti, to come out. Now, Vashti was known for her great beauty, And, uh, you know, the king always got the best, and this was the the best-looking woman in the kingdom. And he says, send for Vashti that she might come out and and demonstrate her beauty to the nobles and to the people of Susa that I might receive glory. And they send off to Vashti, and Vashti sends a reply, says, I'm not coming out. Well, for the king who has been building her up and suddenly looks bad in front of the nobles, in front of the entire city, this was no good. 
So his wise men said, King, you need a new queen. You need somebody who's going to do what you tell her to do. So Vashti was out, and the search for a new queen was set up. And they looked all over the kingdom and came up with this beautiful young woman who was Jewish named Esther. Now Esther did not seek this out. It was because of her beauty that the king chose her to be queen. I'm sure it was not what she had really planned for her life. You could see how quickly a queen could fall out of favor as Vashti, all she did was not come out. And she was kicked out as from the office and position of queen. I'm sure it was flattering, but she must have known that a king who had a harem would be less than, I, less than an ideal husband uh, to have. How about that? So the first three chapters, we find this going on. We find Mordecai, who is her cousin, uh, sometimes talked about as uncle. He has become a judge in the city gates of the capital city, Susa. We're introduced to a rather oily character named Haman, and Haman um, has been elevated by the king above all other men to the point that Haman is the most trusted man in the kingdom. He's the king Xerxes' right hand. Now, all citizens are commanded to give honor to Haman, and everybody does except this one guy called Mordecai. And when Mordecai does not honor Haman, Haman says, why do you not give me the honor that's due me? And Mordecai's only response is, I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. Now, what that means is I don't worship anybody but God. And I will not bow down to you. You're man. God created you. Well, when Haman hears this, he doesn't fly off the handle, but you can imagine the pride that this man has. And this is seething within him. And and this is really chewing on him. And he keeps it concealed. And he looks upon Mordecai And he stereotypes him as the typical Jewish man, and that must be that all Jews are like him. So he plots this plan to get rid, not just of Mordecai, but of all the Jews throughout the land. At a propitious moment, he approaches the king with an idea. Now, it's not just an idea. How many of you have gone into your bosses with a complaint or something like that, and your boss says, that's great, you take care of it. Okay? Well... Haman has got it all set. He comes into the boss with a problem. There is a race of people in your kingdom who are rebels. They will not bow down. They will not follow you. Here is a way to fix that. I will give you a a very large amount of money if you, on a specific day, give the okay that it is acceptable for anyone in the kingdom to go out and kill any Jewish person, or he says any person of this race, he doesn't mention that they're Jewish, any person of this race, and confiscate their property. Well, now the king has got some pride too. So the king thinks this is a great idea. And besides, I'm getting cash in the deal, and I don't have to do anything. So he gives his signet ring to Haman. If you have the king's signet ring, you have the king's authority. Because all you have to do is write a law, mark it with the king's seal, and it is the law of the land. So the king, he doesn't know who this race of people is. He really doesn't, probably has never read the entire law. He does not know the consequences of it. Haman has maneuvered him to the point where he has what he wants. The king's happy. He's got cash in his pocket. And this 
supposedly race of people who are rebellious will no longer be a problem. Now, all of this is authenticated, in, in particularly in Jewish history, through the feast or the festival of Purim, um, which is named for the casting of the poor. If you're in uh, Esther, turn to chapter 3. Verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is the month of Ador. So Pur was the lot that was cast that would determine upon which day the edict would come into effect and everybody could go along and kill anybody who was of this race and confiscate their property. So Mordecai understood what was happening. This was going to be the death of the Jews, of all of his people. Now, he had told Esther to keep quiet about who she was and about her heritage in particular. So the king did not know that Esther, his queen, was Jewish. All of this brings us up to chapter 4. Now, for those of you ladies who will be in the Esther study coming up on the 23rd, you will get all of this much more in-depth. And you'll go, you'll, you'll go. okay, Randy gave us the, the short version, and, and now you can have a chapter week by week, which will, will give you all of this in-depth. Mordecai's words, perhaps the most famous of all from Esther's. And who knows, verse 14, whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And he says, now look, Esther, you may not act in the proper fashion, but whether you do or not, God will fulfill his work. He will save his people. But he has raised you up for a particular purpose at a particular time so that you can do a particular work and further his will. And this is the time. He has placed you as queen, that you may save your people, that you may save your people. See, believers are part of God's plan. His providence working out in our lives and in this world, we are part of his great design. We are not here just to to float along and to go along. We are here because he has placed us here in this place, at this time for such a work as he has called us to. And he will be honored, and his grace will be demonstrated. In the same way, as Mordecai told Esther, it may not be through you if you choose not to, but the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. So we have to take advantage of the opportunities he has made available to us here. And our responsibility is to let him use us. In Dearborn, Michigan, there's the Henry Ford Museum. There's an exhibit called Your Place in Time, and you walk through it kind of uh, down the road of nostalgia there, and it has displays of national events and displays of world events and uh, living conditions, entertainment uh, that was popular in different eras, um, uh, the big band stuff, World War II, the Eisenhower era, uh, baby boomer generation, and generations beyond. And when you walk through, you come really to the inescapable conclusion that you have been placed where you have been placed for a purpose. This is your place in life. This is where you fit. 
Now, you may have thought, oh, I would love to live back in, in pioneer days and really do something new and break new ground. And, and then you go and watch a John Wayne movie where the Indians go and kill the, uh, the settlers. And uh, every free moment of the settlers' time is outspent chopping wood. And, um, you know, the bathroom was out back somewhere. Um, so maybe you think, well, that's, maybe I'd like to visit. But that's not really where I'm supposed to be because you're supposed to be here. At this moment in time. And we have to decide how we will live where the Lord has placed us. This is illustrated in the acts of Queen Esther and Mordecai. When Haman sought to destroy the people, Mordecai sends a message to Esther that she must approach the king and intercede on behalf of the people. Now, this was a dangerous thing, as as we read here, because it says, if you come into the presence of the king, and he did not send for you, and he does not dip his golden scepter to you, you were to be killed on the spot. And Esther says, the king hasn't sent for me for 30 days. So she doesn't know if she's fallen out of favor, uh, or if the king is just busy. Uh, I I mean, you've got the most beautiful young woman in the land, and you haven't spoken to her for 30 days. The king better be pretty busy, okay, not to pay attention to Esther. And he says, and and, and she's, she's concerned. What if he doesn't dip his golden scepter to me? It will mean my life. And Mordecai says, who knows if you have not been raised up for such a time as this. It's like Esther, each of us is a unique individual in history. Our birth was no accident. Our placement in time is no accident. The psalmist is very clear, for you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. We are called to be the Lord's representatives where we live, where we work, where we play, where we worship. It is a privilege and it is a high calling to live in this fashion. Do you remember what the three friends of Daniel said to the king Nebuchadnezzar? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. They're about to be thrown into the furnace because they won't bow down and worship the idol. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It was time to demonstrate faith there for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The furnace was open. It was heated seven times hotter. It consumed the people there. They were cast in. Their, their, their bonds were burned off, and they looked in, and who did they see in the furnace walking around? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and there was somebody else in there. Jesus. Esther Even though it doesn't talk much about her faith in God, she has enough knowledge to tell Mordecai to assemble all the Jews who who live in Susa and have them fast for her. Now, fasting also, throughout scripture, also means praying. She says, I will attempt to see the king. I will break the law of the land. And she says, if I perish, I perish. 
Now, this wasn't just Esther throwing things to fate and saying, I'm going to give it a go. And, and you know, the king really does like me, um, you know, because I am his queen. I am the best looking woman in, in town. And he has, uh, you know, made me this, put me in this position. But we have to understand Xerxes and his personality. Remember what he did to Vashti. There's also many other stories about what Xerxes was like. As his army marched off to war, his longtime servant came to him and said, King, may I ask of you, I've served you this man, lo these many years. You know, may I ask of you one thing? And the king was like, I've known you for, for years and years. I, I think I know everything that you can ask me, but go ahead. The servant says, I have five sons, and they're here going off to war with you. Will you please excuse the oldest one that he might care for me in my old age and keep the other four in the army? Well, Xerxes, he just goes ballistic, and he, he just can't take it. And he says, you villainous, villainous servant, how dare you ask such a question when my sons and my friends and, and people from all, of our, all over our nation are here in this war? And Xerxes says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll spare you and your four sons. You can leave right now. But that oldest son, the one you were so concerned about, I'm going to cut him in half. And I'll place him on either side of the road so that as the armies go through marching off to war, he will stand as a marker. And that's exactly what he did. So when Esther says, if I perish, I perish, this is, this is where it hits the road. This is where life and faith come to the point of intersection. She says, I'm going to put it on the line because she was convinced that she had been raised for such a time as this. The only way to take on something that appears to be beyond human capacity is in the Lord's power. So Esther pursued, have them fast, have them pray, as my handmaidens and I will do the same. We will not eat day or night. We will seek the Lord. And when we fast and pray, that is, we are putting aside our own desires and saying that these things of the flesh do not have power over us. It is the Lord who has power over us, and we are going to seek his will in all of those things. And then we will act in accord with it. By asking them all to participate, she was saying, I don't rely upon human courage. I rely upon the things of the Lord. So why has the Lord raised us up? Why has he brought us to this point in our lives as individual believers? Why has he placed you here in this place, in Huntsville or in Madison? Why do you live next to the people that you live next to? Why do you work in the office of a certain place? Why do you go to a certain church? It is because at this moment he has placed you here so that you may use your gifts in such a time as this. This is what it comes down to. Why, have, why has this church been brought through all that it has been brought through in the past years? Why has it had solid biblical teaching for years and years and years? So that we might be prepared. The Lord will do his work. The question is, will we be obedient and he will do it through us? That question is what we each have to answer. And it can only be answered when we're on our knees. We can't sit here and think, oh, you know, let's make a list. Here's what's happened, uh, and, and this is the pro, and this is the con, and we do all this. No, that's not where we find the answer. We find the answer on our knees before the Lord. And we say, Lord, have you raised me up 
for such a time as this? Have you raised this church up for such a work as this? That is where you will find the answer. Will you pray with me? Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? We who are feeble, we who are weak and fickle, you come and bestow upon us such a great gift as this salvation. But it is not something that we can hold on to and keep to ourselves. This faith must be lived out. It must be demonstrated. Lord, have you raised us up for such a time as this? Today, Lord, we seek your wisdom. We seek to walk in a manner that is holy, in a manner that is wise, and in a manner that is filled with faith. We dare not run ahead of you, nor do we lag behind. But we want to walk in step as individuals and as a church, that you might be glorified. Lord, put aside in our hearts any thoughts of of what we might do and what, what we are capable of doing, but fix in our hearts what it is in our weakness that you make us strong to do. Come upon each of us, Lord, that we would spend time upon our knees that we would seek your face, that we would ask you of your will, that we might do what it is you call us to do. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you get your hymnal out, I want to make sure you understand going out the door that we're going to give you something. Today is the kickoff for our capital campaign. And going out the door, you will receive a packet that looks like this. Attempt something so great. Attempt something so great that it is doomed to failure unless God be in it. We've used that phrase many times here in this church. Within this packet, you will find information. You will find trifolds on what it means to be involved on giving You will find a booklet that is a 21-day devotional. And I would encourage you each to begin tomorrow morning to use this devotional. The theme of this devotional is greater, greater understanding, greater prayer, greater praise, greater strength. That is the theme for 21 days. Begin to read and to pray on these things. You will find, as I said, the frequently asked questions sheet that that is enclosed on both front and the back. You will find plans in the folder. You will find a card such as this uh, upon which at the appropriate time we might make each of us make our commitments to what the Lord calls us to do. So there will be individuals at this door and at this door to hand you a packet on your way out. Go home and begin to read that. Look through it. If you have questions that you need to ask, get those questions answered. The most important thing that you can do It's like we said, the will of the Lord will be found on our knees before him. It will be found on our knees before him.
Donald, come and lead us in our closing hymn. Give our hearts to thine obedience, serve and love thee best of all. 399, Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild wrestling.